Marketing Revelations. I'm your host, Dan Flesh. Joining me as always is my co-host, Chelsea Madison. How are you doing, Chelsea? Great. Good to hear. We have a very special episode today. We are joined by our Senior Creative Services Manager, Kenzie Lamaster. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Kenzie, we brought you in because we had gotten a couple questions from people around UX and UI, and we thought it'd be just a good idea to talk about both and how they all work. Um, so really just a little background on you. You are kind of, I call you our keeper of the brand. <laughs> you make sure everything's brand compliant, anything that goes out. So who better to talk about UX and UI? Because we also just did a CMS rebuild, a website rebuild. So you've been diving deep into this lately. So if you don't mind starting off, what is UX and UI? Sure. So um, a lot of times these terms get interchanged and they actually are two very different things that work together. Um, so. UX is more of the overall feel of an experience that is generated through research. So you have um, your customer personas, you are establishing goals um, and actions that you might want people to take when they come in contact with your brand. Um, UI is the actual design interface that is built based off of the research that is generated during the UX process. So it's more of like your colors, your aesthetics and things like that. So what you're saying, though, just to level set with everybody, when we say UX, UI, we're saying user experience for UX and user interface for Correct. UI. And so you're talking kind of the UX typically comes before the UI, but how do they really play off each other? How can the UX influence UI or and then how can the UI maybe change the UX? Yeah, so um, the UX really is like I said, almost like establishing that data and the UI is, again, telling, taking that data and saying, okay, based on this action, we need to have this kind of CTA here or we need to build out the page to drive them to this certain place based on the actions and goals that we want them to take. So that's really how they end up working together in the end is just being able to take that research that you've established and saying, this is what I want the person coming in contact with my brand to do, and this is the action I want them to take. And then the user interface comes in and, and really establishes that and creates the clarity um, with working with the research to build that out aesthetically. So the, the UX piece, though, that can happen offline. It's not always a website. It can be someone literally coming into your place of business, your store. Absolutely. I think the user experience as a whole, um, it encompasses all touch points of your brand from ads to your website to emails um, anything or like you said just coming into your store in general and experiencing your brand as a whole um, so yeah there's a million different ways that user experience can be applied so how can a brand that's maybe sitting here thinking wow I wonder what my customers user experience is how can they start thinking about how to kind of determine what their UX is yeah I think a lot of it comes through really going back and establishing who am I wanting to target and what do I want them to feel when they do interact with my brand? Um, what are the emotions that you want them to consistently be in contact with when they're thinking about your brand? And that can be defined even down to the low level of logos and colors and how you pick those or um, you know, the website experience that they have. Is it difficult or is it easy to navigate? So there's a lot of different avenues that you have to think through, but it's really starting simple and keeping it basic from beginning and then building on top of building. Like it's multiple layers. It's not just done in a day. 
Along with that, would you say there's ever a moment in time that comes that you say, okay, we did, we did it, we're done? No, there's <laughs> never a time for that. Um, if so, I probably wouldn't still have a job. <laughs> um, a lot of it is based on keeping up with trends, um, keeping in touch with your competitors to see what they're doing, to see how you can implement pieces of their user experience on top of yours and even e expand on that. Um, and it's also keeping in touch with your um, your client or your prospect to see what their feedback is um, and to really build off of that based on their needs and their goals they're trying to meet when they are coming in contact with your brand as a whole. Can you touch a little bit on the continuity piece? Sure. I know we focus a lot on making sure we have a very continuous experience across all our platforms with mm -hmm. our brand. What's the importance of that? Sure. So my personal experience, and I mean, just across the board, um, the customer or consumer journey as a whole is key. Um, and being able to build that continuity through your brand builds trust, whether they're interacting with your brand yet or not, the more that they see your brand, they're still interacting with it, even if they're just seeing the ad on the side or they're receiving an email or reading your blog. That's still interaction that helps build trust further down the road to eventually, hopefully, um, regenerate a lead or make a sale. Mm -hmm. So it's really about building the recognition. Sure, so absolutely. Even, I, personally, I feel like it's a subconscious thing. If they sure. start seeing your, your colors, your logo, yeah. more, they may not be directly thinking about your brand in that moment, but mm -hmm. it just helps it become more familiar. Yeah, and absolutely. And then when they do have a problem or they're ready to take action you are can be their top of mind because they've had that con constant interaction with you even if it is like you said subconsciously absolutely now you've gone through i would maybe unique experience with us you led a rebrand yeah when you first started what did that look like what was your what was going through your brain when you went through that maybe not necessarily like when in your planning process if we're going to make a change What's your checklist look like? Sure. So the first thing that we started with personally um, was updating our logo. We needed to get into a place um, where we could be a little bit more modern. Um, we didn't want to change the whole color scheme. We felt like we didn't want to like shock users too much um, because we already were established in a lot of ways. Um, but we needed we were at a place where we needed to modernize our um, aesthetic as a whole. So we did that through number one, rebranding the logo um, and building out a more consistent color palette. And then the second piece, which was major um, and is a little bit more of an overhaul depending on the size of your site, but is the website redesign. Um, and like we mentioned earlier, that's ever evolving. We just did that again um, in my lifetime here at Rev Local. And that was, I mean, we uplifted our aesthetics even more through the second one. So. Um, just staying in tune with the fact that your brand should be ever evolving is key. Even I feel like on the outside of the website rebrand that you did, um, on my team side of things with like ads and emails, I feel like you guys are now doing an overhaul of everything aesthetically on that side sure. as well. So it does feel like it's a process that never ends. And it's exciting, too, um, from the creative perspective, I guess, because it is constantly giving you fresh new perspective and it's giving you new opportunities to do new things. So what's that process? So, I mean, this is going to be a, a big example. Not everyone's going to be redesigning their logo sure. on a regular basis, but 
in your brain, how do you manage the idea of, okay, I'm reach, I'm changing my logo. Now I got to find all the spots I've got my logo mm-hmm. and make sure that's up to date. What's that like when you're even making a smaller change and just finding those to help continue that continuity? Sure. So the logo, yeah, I would say it's definitely like a much larger scale. I would probably try to get that one done sooner than <laughs> right. later. So there is that in. consistency. <laughs> but if it's something more simple, like you're wanting to change an aesthetic of um, your iconography or your typefaces or things like that, um, I do think that it's okay as you're going through this process of updating to not stress yourself out and be, you know, just slowly generate a plan to say, okay, these are the top touch points they're coming in contact with. So maybe prioritize those and then slowly trickle down to the, some of the smaller pieces and the smaller touch points. Is that so? How do you balance and determine prioritizing what needs to be changed first? It would definitely be based on, um, you know, the number of users that might be coming in contact with that piece. So obviously your website is like first and foremost, like what most people are going to be coming in contact with. So that should, again, be your main priority. And then from there, you could go into more of like if you have sales material, sales pieces, like maybe that be secondary um, and then rolling out the other pieces slowly as you get through them. Sure. And with the website piece, it's not, you mean the whole website, but your main pages yes, of your website absolutely. and then trickle yes, down through. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about one of my favorite topics, testing. How does testing play a role in UX and UI? Sure. Absolutely. So testing is the key to UX and UI, to be honest. And it really like finds its home under that UX piece and then trickles down again into that UI piece. Um, but with testing, whether it's A-B testing, like you, you, your team, your team and my team has done uh, recently, um, we're testing branding aesthetics. We're even text testing verbiage even on the ads um, specifically. But building and finding those opportunities to gather the data is what gives us better insight into how to define that user experience. So then we can make the user interface be reactive to that data. So just finding what the customer will respond to most and then sort of building our brand around that. Yes, absolutely. I know as another person that creates, like we can fall in love with a certain part of what we do. Mm -hmm. How do we get over that when it doesn't work? Yeah. The failure side of UX. It's not always roses. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think um, really just going back to that mindset of, establishing in that first step what your goals are and if it's not meeting your goals it could be the most beautiful piece you've ever done (laughs) or you could be so in love with it but sometimes if it's not meeting your goals that has a bigger effect long term um so sometimes you do have to cut the cord so goals i think we've (laughs) talked about goals before lots Uh, of goals absolutely (laughs) what are you doing to try and stay on top of these trends how are you finding those sure so a lot of it um you know, I have I do have a team that obviously helps me. I cannot do all this by myself and they're fantastic and supportive. And um, but a lot of it comes from just looking for inspiration. It's reading. Um, it's just even finding inspiration on social, like looking at some of our competitors or even people that are outside of our industry as a whole and saying, wow, like, look at the pieces that they're building. Look at the aesthetics that they're using. How can we like rev localize them (laughs) (laughs) and and use them in our branding and to a point where it elevates our brand and we're not copycatting there's a big difference there very 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 big difference not copycatting but using it as an inspirational piece to um really use as an elevation to our brand 
Let's talk a little bit more about the copycatting. I feel like that's like a huge piece of the creative world. You sure. see something you like and you're like, I would like to do something similar. Absolutely. But you have to respect other people's, you know, yes. creative projects. Yep. So tell us how that process goes. Yeah. Um, so I'll share this with you. Um, in school, we were taught one of the, it, there was like an 80-20 rule. Yeah, an 80-20 rule. <laughs> so 80% of it needs to be original and 20% of it can be used as, and is, can be pulled or as used as inspiration. So, and that's really what is key to stick to. You shouldn't necessarily be going to like doing a Google search for like images and pulling that off and pulling, using that image as your logo or a big, huge branding piece as a part of your brand. Um, but in, as a rule of thumb, like recreate that as your own. Um, and yeah, that 80, 20 rules key. So. <laughs> Absolutely. That was so important. <laughs> Kenzie, thanks a lot for taking the time to join us. I, I know we both really appreciate it. It's a lot of great information that isn't always obvious to find. Um, but th I think for me, the big takeaway is it, it's not always going to be that big rebrand. Re You're going to do those minor tweaks and things like that. And I, I think that's the big part is that and making sure you're listening to your customers and really paying attention to what their experience is uh, and, and retooling what their experience is for continuity, but also just ease. Because obviously, as a business owner, you want to do, you want people to do business with you and you want to make sure it's easy. So again, thank you so much for joining Thanks, us. Thanks, Kenzie. Yeah, thanks for having me. And then with that, we will go to our next segment. What's the point? In this segment, we're going to talk about some of the motivation behind some interesting marketing and try and get into the heads of these companies, see what they're exactly what they were thinking. So Chelsea, this month, I saw uh, Barilla, a famed pasta manufacturer mm -hmm. uh, they had teamed with spotify to make playlists around the cook times for each of their pastas so the idea being that once the water's boiling you dump your pasta in and you hit play and then when the playlist is done your pasta is cooked perfectly brilliant what's the point i mean while there is no call to action I feel like the point is to have something in your everyday life that makes you think about their brand. So maybe you could listen to the playlist on your drive into work if you're in the mood. And the additional win is that it enhances the product that they're giving you because we all know how easy it is to mess up pasta. <laughs> is it? I mean. I feel like that's the easiest thing to I feel like it's cook. always either too hard or too soft. Is there a day that you get it perfectly right? Every time. Really? Yes. Okay. That's why you taste I your pasta. <laughs> yeah, you taste your pasta as you go. But regardless, I agree with what you're saying. It's it's a big awareness. It's that just creative piece. Um, and obviously, it's it's different. And I think it's uh, what I'm looking for. It is playing on the idea that I, people rarely cook in silence. I know at my house, I've got a little kid running around. I've got music playing while I'm trying to cook to distract everybody. Because um, no one likes silence, especially while they're cooking. Yeah, so you might as well have silence filled by your favorite pasta brand. Absolutely, and you said it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> nailed it. So moving on to our game to end this episode. Um, Chelsea, I prepared something for you Can't uh, wait. in the theme of design. Okay, I know my non-expertise. Right. Can't wait. That's exactly what I'm hoping to harp on. So the, the rules are, I'm going to give you, I have five sets here. Each set consists of three terms or words, only one of them is actually a design term. You have to pull out the design term, 
And then I want to hear what you think the design term means. Okay. I might be able to pick the word, but definitions. Well, that's where you get to get a little creative and come up with something. Making this up on the spot. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Your first set bowl, spoon, and fork. I'm going to say bowl is the design term. Okay. And it means when you're looking at an image, you have like the upper bowl and the lower bowl. And that's where you edit things. No. So bowl <laughs> is the right word. Okay, <laughs> you good. got it right there. I got that. Your definition's incredibly wrong. Great. Uh, it stems from typography. So oh. it's the closed circular part of a letter. So if you think like a B. Okay. Um, it's the, the, the rounded part of a B. Why would you ever need to name the rounded part of a if B? If you're really into typography and you're making your own custom fonts and you need to refer to certain parts of it as like, oh, Can make the bowl like a little bit bigger. The B? Like that you, part on the B? You, yes, but that's not how design works. <laughs> I so like mine you're better. one for one. Okay. You're off to a good start. Moving on to the next one. This is the one I think you're most likely to get, so you're already ahead of my pace. Okay, okay. You have foster, orphan, and stray. Okay. I feel like I know this one less than that. My confidence went down. Um, let's go with orphan because I know that that's a term in data. So I'm like feeling the marketing realm here. Um, orphan is going to refer to something in the background of your image. I love how I'm just like image, image, image. Yeah. I want to remind you, design's more than just image. <clears throat> You're correct. Okay. <laughs> we'll switch it up. Something in the background of your website that you didn't originally see and it is an orphan okay what is an orphan in data before i give you the right answer i don't want to get into that okay fair enough <laughs> well you're right again that's the right word not the right definition believe it or not okay um, okay an orphan refers to either a single word or a line that is part of a previous paragraph at the top of a page okay so like if you just see like a word like you know it, i mean i thought you might get it because like writing papers in Word or something like that. Orphan's a term that they use even in a word processor. So I thought that may have been. Nope, nope, what that was. got nothing. All right, so I'm gonna miss. Hey, right. I got the point though. No, true, you're two for two on the first half Thank of the Thank you, quiz. not a swing and a miss. Next one, you have letting, leading, and lagging. Can you please spell letting for me? You're gonna find that letting and leading are spelled the same, but it is L-E-A-D-I-N-G. Okay, what was the third one? Lagging. I'm going to say lagging, and that is when you're, there are so many aspects of design. That's when you're taking an image and your lens isn't Back clicking, clicking, clicking enough. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess technically that could be right, but it's wrong. Okay, okay. Um, the answer was letting. Um, any guesses on what letting might be? Letting. Um, You've done the last two about like typing. So I'm just going to go there and say letting is about the size of your header versus your subheader and your like body text. No, that's not right. Um, it's the space between your lines of type. Oh. So it's kind of like your double space, your single space, back again, relating it to word processing and writing papers in college. I've been on the images train. I need to get on, yeah. the, on the text train. Absolutely. Okay. So. Number four, so you're two for three. Okay. You have hall, four boom, and masthead. Oh my gosh. Um, hall, four boom, and masthead. 
I have to ask, is photography a part of this quiz? Well, it's part of design. I would say so, yes. specifically photography could fall into the answer of this. I'm going to say four boom then because I know about boom mics. And I'm going to say that a four boom is like a, a little tiny boom mic. No, the answer <laughs> is a masthead. The trick in this is they're all also parts of a boat. Okay. Um, well, but the masthead is the graphic image or the text at the very, very top of the page, kind of where that search bar is on a page or something okay. like that. Um, so you are now two for two. You're back to 50%. Man. I will give you a win if you can get this last one. Okay. I have low hopes for you. <laughs> Rude. You have. No confidence. Uh, toe smidge. Toe smidge. Yep. Hangnail. And fog bottom. Okay. I'm going to take your low confidence and I'm going to overanalyze it. Mm -hmm. That means it's probably the one that I would least expect. Right. I always think it's best to not try and outthink the game master. <laughs> okay. Read them again. You have toe smidge, toe smidge. hangnail, and fog bottom. Ugh. I'm going to go toe smidge. Okay. And what is a toe smidge? <clears throat> um... It's something in the footer, obviously. Because of toe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is any of those little symbols that you need in your footer. Well, toe smidge is something that Tom made up. Um, <laughs> it's just a word, not even a real word. Um, and the whole thing is none of those are actually design terms. I just wanted to see what definitions you would come up uh, okay. with for whatever you came up Low with. Low confidence makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no way you're going to get that. Rude. <laughs> I'm proud of myself. You did pretty well. I mean, Two four out of four. four. Yeah, I'm not going to count. I mean, technically you're wrong, but there was no right answer. So you could have called that out and then you would have gotten right. You know, I compared to masthead and all the other things I never would have known. Fair enough. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us this month. We will see you next month. If you have any questions, comments, feel free to shoot them over to podcastrevlocal.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, review on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you're checking us out. And outside that, we'll just see you next month.